What's up? Hello. Good day. Welcome. Hi. This is the Arena Craft Podcast, a show dedicated exclusively to Magic the Gathering Arena. I'm one of your hosts, Arjuna. I'm joined by the other host, the recognizable, I, I would say worshipped in many quarters, hated in many others, very storied blue mage that a lot of people refer to as Covert Go Blue. CGB, how's your Friday going? It's a wonderful Friday. Thank you for asking. Um, and for those curious what's going on, I and my wife went into a movie theater for the first time in over like a year plus. Wow. Because, I mean, this is something we've done like every weekend, even when the movies were just terribly bad, almost since we got together, almost every weekend, like every Friday, we go see a movie, usually the matinee to avoid the crowds and just kind of get a theater to ourselves, taking the latest cinematic adventure. And Arjuna, did you know that there is, in fact, a cinematic adventure in the theater right now? It's called Fast Nine. Fast, wait, is that like the Fast and Furious ninth edition? Don't act like you don't know. I, I, I honestly don't, dude. I, <laughs> don't act like you don't understand the greatness that is Vin Nine. Diesel and company saving the world through vehicular criminal activity. Nine Fast, Nine Furious. Is that, is, is that what we're on It's now? called Fast Nine. Show some respect to the finest cinematic <laughs> masterpiece of 2021 so far. The blockbuster. The thing that gets the butts back in the seats. The popcorn seller itself. The Fast and the Furious. Uh, I don't great. know, man. <laughs> I, dude, they go to space. Spoiler alert, they're in space. Are they they're driving? actually in space. Watch, they're doing their little yeah. like car convoy thing in A space. A 1970 <laughs> vehicle. That's, I won't give away okay. which vehicle. Yep. But a vehicle from a model 1970, year 1970, in space. Wow. That's... Flown uh, by former rapper Ludacris. I mean, that does sound extremely ludicrous. If you are not interested now, I don't, I can't help you. But just in case you aren't, I'm going to say one more thing. <clears throat> John Cena. That was eh? technically two words. That was, that was two eh? words. No, that's a word. <laughs> John Cena. <laughs> John Cena. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I, I'm having a great Friday. That I just came directly from that to record oh, very this. Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. you know, I have not been partaking of the miscellany, which is whatever they're showing in the theaters these days. However, I have been playing an incredible amount of in-person magic with my fellow vaccinated friends in my local scene, and it has been fantastic. It's been, like, amazing. It has felt every bit as good as I imagined it would. Yep. Oh, yeah. We've oh, done yeah. drafts, and I actually bought these Strixhaven Commander pre-con package you could buy like all five of the commander decks for like 89 bucks on prime day so i i snagged those and uh definitely looking forward to getting into some of that tabletop commander oh you haven't played them yet have you played commander before have you have you played commander before there's this little format there's this little format that some people call commander <laughs> <laughs> Which you think I'm naive enough to have never played? Of course, I've played Commander before. Uh -huh, <laughs> in fact, uh -huh, uh -huh. in fact, I spent the entire last week playing Commander, and that's one of the things that we're going to talk about on today's 
show. So why don't we just skip over that glib little comment that CGB made and, uh, and get into the meat of today's show, which is we're going to be spending some of the show talking about the 100 card historic brawl slash as close to commander as you can play on arena format, um, which we were supposed to have had a showdown with on to do the last week. And unfortunately, we discovered a day beforehand that arena didn't support it, which was just a galaxy brain failure over there. So um, so we didn't do the showdown, but we did spend a lot of time playing the format. And I think we came away with a lot of insights around what you should and shouldn't be doing. So we're going to be talking about that. We're also going to be going into like there was a spoiled mechanic and a couple of cards spoiled for the next set adventures in the Forgotten Realms. And so we're going to be talking about dungeons today. So that's a pretty exciting new mechanic which has come up. So uh, yeah, that's awesome. But first of all, we have a question of the week. Covert Go Blue, you are born to answer this question. Are you ready? Okay. All right. Friend of the show, Clicks, asks, if you and CGB had to pick your favorite football, a.k.a. soccer team, which one would it be? No explanation necessary why. Whichever team is picked. Just a quick lightning round question. What do you think, Kovac Gablu? <laughs> I hate you. And clicks. I thought we were friends, dude. Um, actually, it's it's too easy, but it's not for any good reason. Um, the The answer is France. Okay. And the reason is for some, like, I had no part in this. But in my Discord, in on the, what we call the Cool Kids Club side, which is uh, any patron subs or YouTube memberships are in this group. Uh, or no, this is actually in the nonsense category. Actually, this was open to everybody. Everybody could see this. But a bunch of the regulars drafted up, like, brackets for all the teams competing in the soccer thingy tournament. What's it called? What's the it called? Yaro something or another. Yeah, I got yeah. you. You don't know either. Is it no. ESL? I, I've no, no that's an esports thing. <laughs> anyway, I'm making <laughs> I'm making them mad right now. They are they are they are squirming in their seats with rage. Type those comments. Let me know what it is. Um anyway, uh I got they they just drew from the regulars in my Discord. Uh, they just drew like names and teams and they gave everybody a team. And then, you know, we just kind of had bragging rights and an artificial stake in the situation when our teams played each other. And I was given uh, France. Nice. I, that's it a, was. That's a pretty solid team, man. They won the that's World what they Cup tell and me. stuff. And yeah, that's what they tell me. Zinedine Zidane, the ultimate badass, just freaking headbutted I don't a guy know, I, I, I don't know what oh, you're just saying oh, said right have now. you not know oh my gosh all right. what's going on cgb there was like the most cgb moment in football that ever happened happened on the french team and it happened during the freaking world cup final i'm pretty sure it was a the world cup final end of this guy's career like the last kind of like high profile match that Zinedine Zidane, captain of the team, was going to play. I mean, the guy has a storied career. He's like one of the most famous footballers ever, right? And it's like in stoppage time. It's like in overtime, basically. And just like out of nowhere, Zinedine Zidane walks over to this Italian player and just freaking like headbutts him in the sternum, like right in the middle of the chest and just takes him out. It was like he drops this guy. <laughs> and I mean, Zidane is like, 
Like he's How did he headbutt him in the sternum? How Dude. tall is he? Is this Napoleon playing soccer? <laughs> Dude, he no, he just like he like he like put all of his body into it and he like got an angle on him. It was like a Michael Jackson lean, you know? And he just pukow took the guy out. And uh, I, I can appreciate a good Michael Jackson lean. I'm into this. And, and Zinedine Zidane is like probably the coolest cucumber in the entire league at the time. So anyway, it led to a lot of speculation. But all you need to know, Kovac Blue, is that he freaking dropped that dude like a counter spell. It was great. Anyway. Okay. So yeah, France, good team for you. Uh, so I heard, I heard in the very first, in one of the matchups, I heard that Germany played France and France won because Germany scored in its own goal. <laughs> if that's not... If that's not the most covert go blue thing, where I, no win con, my yep. win con is no the opponent just messing up and giving up and, and screwing uh, up. Like that is so me. It's perfect. So I was like, all right, I'm into this. All right, you know, France, the confirmed control mage of freaking international football. So let's see. As for myself, my favorite team, uh, okay, internationally, I have to say that I really do enjoy watching Argentina. And there's a reason for this. And it's a superficial reason, but it's a reason nevertheless. They have the absolute sexiest jerseys of any team in the world. They have this like, it's like this sky blue color, but it's like a silvery sky blue. You you dig it. You dig it, CGB. Okay. And right, it is just something else, man. It's it's the confirmed best jersey color in all of football and that's why i like argentina if i had to pick like a club team you know like a like a local league team if i had to pick that's like a an... yorian jersey that's what that is Dude, I yorian jersey it's, it literally Yor- is that is a yorian colored jersey Look it really up. is Ar- yeah the argentine yeah, argentine bottle brush jersey. image on the screen let's go there we go editor put the image up um <laughs> and then yeah as far as the premier league i, I don't know man Let's go with Tottenham Hotspurs. I lived in London for a while, and they're a, they're a, they're like one of the not super hateable London clubs. So anyway, all right. Well, I think we've spent enough time talking about football on this podcast. Covert Go Blue. I, I need to rein you in, otherwise we just you know devote <laughs> we just devote too much time to it. All right, Sorry. man. So <laughs> this last this last week. <laughs> This last week, Kovaco Blue and I, we put on our training montage and we spent a lot of time playing this 100-card historic brawl format. And I have to say that after playing this format, I have officially decided that it is one of the sweetest formats I've ever played on the MTG Arena. And I was devastated, literally devastated this morning when I discovered that it was going away. I mean, I knew it was going away, but I was still devastated. So... They basically, I, they gave it a try, and I think it's leading already to speculation that they might make this like a more regular thing on the platform. We'll uh, see, we'll see. One would hope, one would hope. What's your initial eagle's eye view on the format? How did it feel? You know, what are your speculations around it? Stuff like that. I, I really like it for so many reasons, but I will say... My natural draw is to find what is powerful and broken in a format. This format has plenty. It really has plenty. But the matchmaking is like the mat. What 
I we all like to joke about the matchmaking being rigged. The matchmaking being rigged here is one of the features because if you want to play like super spiky brawl, you're only going to get matched against a few other commanders. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to play against uh, what was it, Agar the freeze, Angar the freezing <laughs> Agar the flame, freezing flame, yeah, yep. with with Teferi or Golos. Yeah, right? you're you're going to play other Golos players. So I, I really like that feature, and mm-hmm. I I know that that's also kind of at work behind the scenes, both in ranked and unranked, that you play against people with a similar elo, but it it's not by deck strength usually to the degree that it is in a hundred card brawl, where you really do if you're gonna sleeve up one of the power decks, you're gonna face other power, and I it kind of it was interesting because early on in the week I would sleeve up like a really powerful deck and I'd play another really powerful deck and we'd play the game. And by the end of the week, like people were just scooping on like turn one or when they saw their first counter spell so often, it was like, what are you trying to do? Requeue until you get on the play or something like that? Did you have this experience playing the spiky commanders? Uh, well, okay. I only played one counter spell commander, which was, of course, Teferi, the original Gandalf. And yes, I, wow. and I definitely had people scooping plenty to Teferi. Um, yeah. it, it wasn't quite to that degree, but I definitely like the moment I'd counter some spells, get to fairy down and get into any kind of a solid position. People were just out. Yeah. Okay. So. My video shows like I, I was, uh, recording in like the final hours of the event, like late at night, cause I just wanted to get another video out yeah. and somebody like, like people were scooping to me on like turn one, turn two. <laughs> That, I mean, that makes sense, right? They don't want to waste this yeah. precious, this precious yeah. liquor of the gods on your silly counterdel, counter spell deck. So, yep. Yep, their Golos just needs to go resolve right now. Yep. <laughs> just main, mainline that Field of the Dead, man. It's the only place Dude, you can the, play Field of the Dead on Arena. <laughs> I, I feel like Golos players feel entitled to having like endless mana and free spells for the entire game. Yeah, otherwise they're just like, <laughs> yeah. what? It's like Kovac Go Blue and counter spells. You know, every time you look at your hand and you don't have a counter spell in it, you're like, "What is this?" Yeah, somebody has to tell somebody has to tell them no. You're not just yeah. supposed to cast three free spells every turn for the rest of the game and have endless mana and perfect mana fixing. It's not. It's not. Oh natural. my gosh! But yeah, this this format is sweet, and I'm yeah. I'm going to miss it, and I hope it comes back soon. You talked about speculation. I haven't heard it, but I I mean I would like to think that they would look at the numbers because I don't know about you. But even in the middle of the night, my queue times were nothing. Totally. Boom. I had another game. No matter what commander or type of deck I sleeved up, boom, I had a game really fast. So I was thinking about this, and okay, everyone's asked this question, why isn't Historic Brawl just a regular feature of the Arena client, right? Like, why isn't it just a queue that you can jump into all the time? I'm sure that Wizards has their reasons for doing that because it's definitely, I I would say it's hands down the most popular format, which you can't play regularly on Arena, that people clamor to play. So, like, every time there's a major update, you have your, like, you know, historic brawl activists coming out, you know. At first, I was wondering if it was because they just don't want to have a singleton format overtake the platform because, you know, they wouldn't sell as many cards or maybe they wouldn't get as many people cashing in wild cards but then when i thought about it that's not it at all for example let's just pull up some of my deck lists here and i can tell you what went into them so for example let's look at my golos deck that i was playing 
So CGB, I want you to guess how many rares, how many rare wild, how many rare cards in my Golos deck? Just just throw out a throw out a ballpark figure. Do I have to? Look, I watched a Croaky stream where he had the filter on and he didn't know it, and he built a hundred card deck out of rares only, and then was <laughs> like, "Oh go. crap, I have to go back and look at the uncommons." <laughs> But but he finished the deck before he realized that. Um, I'm going to guess 40. Okay, this deck had 58. Yeah, and I and I wasn't trying. Oh, the lands! It's the lands. The lands. It's the lands. The lands. Okay, it mm. also had 16 mythics in it, leaving a total of 23. You know, less than rare cards in it. Most of which were probably basic lands. So that's that's my Golos deck. Let's take a look at uh, the Teferi deck I was playing. Okay. You know, that should be a bit more modest, right? And it is. It's more modest. So this one, 39 rares, 7 mythics. So the, the point I'm making here is that I think by any metric, this should be a format that's just going to drain those wild cards right out of people's accounts, especially if they haven't been playing since, I don't know, the beta like you and I yep. have. So yep. in my mind, it seems like a no-brainer to like get people just flipping those wilds and cracking more packs doing whatever it is that they do to try to keep getting that sweet cardboard crack on arena so do you have any theories as to why this isn't a regular thing there was an interview with somebody who was one of the uh people who work on arena and help uh create events for arena and they said that the and this was going back to the original brawl now if you remember original brawl didn't have a queue it got a it got a permanent queue about this time last year Mm. so even like standard brawl hasn't had a queue for that long uh people forget that pretty often historic also didn't have a queue till about this time last year Mm. (laughs) which is kind of insane yeah that is kind of wild to think about um but back then, they defended it by saying two, uh, two things. Um, thing number one, they didn't want long queue times. Mm. Uh, I, I, I think we can put that yeah, argument that to, rest. to rest. I for now, that, at least. that shouldn't be a thing. Yeah. Thing number two, um, people say that they want things all the time, but they get bored easily. And if they only get something occasionally, if it's kind of rare, then they're more likely to really enjoy it. What do you think of that? I mean, I think it's fair. My perception anyway is that this format is fun enough, varied enough, interesting enough, and also bolstered enough by new sets. I mean, like, think about how much the Mystical Archive and Strixhaven brought to this format. We'll probably talk about some of those cards in a little bit. It was like a massive shift in what was possible, right? So, yes. Yeah, so I feel like even if even if a hundred card historic brawl is a format that people visit for two weeks out of every rotation or every set or whatever, like that's still going to just be a constant flow of people coming in and playing. So, yeah, that that explanation falls a little flat for me personally. I agree a hundred percent that at this point those arguments don't hold up and that they should make it a permanent queue. I would go a step further. I want a queue with some kind of a reward because I do want a competitive queue mm. because mm. I do think that I, I think there's a price to be paid for people scooping too early in games. And I mean, there was a lot of games where like I'm on the draw and my opponent plays a ramp spell and I look at my hand and I'm just like, ah, I don't, yeah, yeah, this one's I over. could be in another game, you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and that's, that's too easy. Yeah, that, that really is. So I, I think it, I, 
God, I want a, I want some, not necessarily ranked. I guess rank would be fine. Maybe it should be a different style of ladder or something like that, that where the rewards are a little bit different. But mm-hmm. I, I do want something. I, I want to be able to play for some kind of stakes. Maybe just an event, right? It's just like sure. an event you can get in like any other event. You know, you get to seven wins or whatever. You pay a hundred gold, to a thousand gold to get in. I mean, I don't and, know. And keep the commander balanced matchmaking. So yeah. if I'm going to play like a really janky commander and I want to play it in an event where I get to seven wins and you get something, I'll get paired against other people who do that, right? Totally. So, Makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah, I like that idea a lot. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's that's our little pitch for getting it regularly. Do it. Um, so do it, do it, do it the right thing. Wow. <laughs> okay, so let's get into some of the specifics of the format. CGB, do you want to like? How do you want to structure this? Do you want to start with some of our like general tips for the format, or do you want to start by examining our particular deck choices and go from there? Man, I love both of those ideas. Okay, let's start with some generic, like, what you need to know about the format. I I like this idea. I will make a statement about the format that I think is true, and I want to hear what you think of it, and if you found it to be true as well. Okay. Sounds great. I'll I'll go first. Ramp is the most important thing going on. Probably. (laughs) Yes. It's one of two, in my opinion, of the most important things going on. Oh, cool. Then I'll wait for yours next. But uh, like, what I'm going to support it with is that I think every deck has to have some element of ramp and not traditional ramp. It doesn't have to be into the north and cultivate, although those are really good cards. But every deck needs to have an eye on how to make their spells cheaper. Baral Chief of Compliance reduces the cost of your spells. Um, there's artifacts that can go into every deck. Uh, you you should have your arcane signet in, like, in signet just about in every, every deck. deck. Yeah, just yeah. You have and, to have a very uh, strong reason to not run that card. On top of that, you should be aware of Mindstone, the idol. What is it? Guardian idol. Guardian idol. Yep. And Cold Steel Heart. Cold Steel you Heart. You need to be aware one. of those cards. Yep. 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 Yeah. All of those two mana. Exactly two mana. Uh, mana producing artifacts are just absolutely fantastic in the format for sure. And an- and another one, if you're if you're leaning control, you're not worried about too much of an early game is treasure map because the mana explosion of treasure map when you flip that thing is ramp, whatever you want to call it. That's ramp. That's some pretty significant ramp. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, I agree. I was. Uh, this is my current opinion of the format: is that I think the two most powerful things that you can be doing in this particular historic brawl are number one is probably ramping, and close second is countering spells. Nice. I definitely found in my playthroughs that counter spells are just super strong in this format. And mm-hmm. it's basically just because of mana scaling. And it's also basically because of what's good in the format. So for example, most counter spells are a lot cheaper than whatever they're going to be countering. And when that's true of a format, counter spells are really good. Commanders get more expensive every time they get countered. And so you're getting more and more of a savings relative to the spell you're countering every time. It's also just a format where resolving big, you know, explosive, impressive things is really good. Spoiler alert, rinky dinky creature decks suck in this format. (sighs) This is like probably the worst aggro format I've played on Arena, basically. 
we've been in some bad ones. There there have been cats in ovens and Okos around. And yeah, <laughs> That's a good point. This no, but you might be right. Like I yeah. couldn't. I I thought I was playing some pretty broken aggro. You know, uh, Thalia was a commander of mine. Magda, Torbrand, Annex. I tried all of them, and Winota, which I thought would be busted. And in my experience, they were all and I, they were all pretty weak. Like I I got outclassed. By every single Teferi, Golos, Baral deck I just ran into. I just couldn't uh, I couldn't get the job done. I couldn't break down the walls. There was just... The, the card quality was too good. And blue in, is in particular. The blue cards are really, so good. really good. Yeah. Yeah. That that was my experience too. I, I found... I thought the Winota were... That was probably the aggro commander that felt the most threatening to me. And I still just clown those lists, man. Even like even just playing rando whatever commanders, like I just really didn't find them very threatening. Yep, that's ground zero for the format. Is if you're not thinking big, you're not thinking big enough. Good observation there. All right, what's what's your next observation, CGB? Oh, what was yours? Oh, yours was about counter spells. Counter spells, yeah. Okay, so yeah, I want to talk about the counter spells then. The be- the good commanders, like they just. They enter the battlefield and they provide a pretty serious impact or they're cheap and they provide like an advantage to everything else. So Kinnon and Baral are two commanders that get under counter magic for the most part. And then they make all the other spells cheaper so you continue to double and triple spell your opponent every turn so that they can't keep up with countering things. So on the other hand, like Golos, Niv-Mizzet, Asika, God of the Tree, like all these five-color commanders. They just enter the battlefield and they provide so much value that you can't grind. You can't play like an Athreos deck and keep up with a with a Golos, you know? Golos in particular is egregious because it pays its own commander tax because every time it enters the battlefield, it gets another land and another, usually getting Field of the Dead in the World Tree quickly so they don't have to worry about mana costs and they're making free zombies the whole game. And then there's just endless lands entering the battlefield every time they replay the Golos, which you have to deal with and kill, or it spins the wheel and the Golos wheel casts free spells. So it's it's just a commander that puts you in a bind that you cannot grind through. Teferi, if you're going to run that, is also going to be just drawing cards, drawing cards, drawing cards, and you're never going to get past the constant barrage of threats. Like, the cards just don't end. A big reason that the mana in the ramp is so important is because you can keep casting your commander. If you have a powerful commander, usually one of your best plays, no matter what happens, when you run out of cards wherever you are, is you can still just cast your commander again if you draw a lot of land. So if you counter a Golos two or three times and they don't get the ETB trigger to fetch the land, eventually they can't cast it anymore until they've drawn a lot more land. And that is like one of the only legitimate ways to compete with the thing. So counter spells become absolutely essential basically yes i couldn't agree more yeah definitely the best way to combat the golos decks by the way can we just stop and appreciate how ridiculous golos is and how it just shouldn't it shouldn't be in the format if they if they bring this cue back you got to get rid of golos i i find it broken and powerful but i think it's a kind of broken and powerful that's fun it does warp the format what we're saying about it there's not a good way to compete with golos without counter spells that's not the way it should necessarily be but maybe they can like maybe they can skew the matchmaking so hard 
that you don't queue into Golos unless you A, also play Golos, or B, play counter spells. It's, yeah, it's like your two options if you're playing Golos are Golos, Mirrors, or Teferi. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and that's how it felt when I was queuing yeah. up with the deck. And it was still really interesting. Um, Let's see, we're going to get to talk about deck construction, but I just, I like, I immediately want to talk about some of the tech cards in my Golos deck and see if you found them too. Do you want to do that? Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, we can spend some time on Golos. We kind of explained how it works and why it's so powerful. Yeah. Let me, let me first tell you a Golos thing that happened to me. I, I, I was fighting, I, I don't remember what I was playing, but basically I got into that position, that position that you end up in where eventually it's like, oh no, the Golos resolves. They get one turn. They get to spin this wheel one time. Next turn, I'm going to deal with it, take over, go off, whatever it is. But they get one spin of the wheel. And my opponent spun the wheel. And they revealed, I'm not kidding, Ulamog all runs Epiphany Time Warp. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And just so you guys know that you get to cast those cards for zero mana, which means you get the cast trigger from Uh, the Ulamog. That's so filthy. I that's, I mean, that's a plan to win the game right there, my friend. <laughs> you gotta so, love it. I had to give that bad beat story because it's pretty epic. And if you can picture that happening, it happened to me. Did you add Domri Anarch of Bolas to your Golos deck? Domri Anarch? No, I did not. So remind us what this card does. Yeah, yeah. So Domri Anarch of Bolas is one red green for a planeswalker with three loyalty. And the important part is the plus one adds red or green mana to your mana pool. Yeah, and creature, creature spells, spells you, can't be counted. Yeah, creature spells can't be countered. So this is a ramp card that is also a planeswalker that gets Golos through a counter spell. It was like the biggest piece of tech that I found where I was like, oh, that gets the job done. That's a good idea. Yeah, that one. That one was pretty nice. I was also main decking like Veil of Summer. Uh, I a lot you can talk about that if you want to did you main deck veil of summer very much i you know i considered playing veil of summer a lot but i ultimately found it to be i think if you're playing like a really competitive version of the matter you probably should but i found it to be pretty lackluster in like anything except a teferi matchup so i considered Mm -hmm. not running it but it is a good card to remember that it is in the format I, i i ended up running it like pretty much all the time because it did feel like counter spells took over the format at some point, at least from where I was sitting. So yeah, uh, yeah, really into Veil of Summer in the deck. Do you have any uh, really sweet Golos cards that you enjoyed? Yeah, I'm just like I'm looking down. I was just thinking another card which is similar to Domri is Rhythm of the Wild. Yes, and that's yeah. another one that you can use to make your creatures uncounterable. And also, like later in the game when you have a truly absurd amount of mana. It might actually give like your Golos haste and then you can just activate it right away, which I don't know. I, that, that was something I was thinking about was like ways. I, one of the things I experimented with in this format was giving your commander haste. Oh, yeah. Especially in a deck, which I'll talk about a little bit more detail later. But um, my favorite commander by far ended up being, and I think this is going to surprise you as much as anyone, Cody. The, the Codex, oh, dude. Okay, dude. okay. Cody ended up being like twice as fun as anything else I tried in the format and surprisingly powerful as well. I, I have a, a pretty large sample size. I think I had about a 65% win rate with the deck last time I checked. So the deck was no joke. 
I couldn't keep up with like the strongest decks in the format, but I would say it was a solid tier two deck. But I experimented with playing like Footfall Crater so I could just cast my Cody on the Chief and just freaking get it, get it done right then and there. Interesting. In Paper Commander, it's Lightning Greaves, you know? Yeah, um, that's the thing. Swift Foot, Swift Foot, Swift Foot Boots. Cards, cards that really surprised me when I first sat down to a game of Commander. I'm like, oh, you run that? And then, yeah. you know, you just equip up the commander and you're like, ah, okay. But yeah, uh, the football creator is interesting. I want to hear about this Cody deck. Okay. You want to go into the Cody deck? All right. I do. Okay. So the Cody deck, when you look at it, it looks like a meme slash a terrible deck slash like, how would you ever win with that deck slash, oh my God, it's so easy to disrupt. Why would you play that deck? All right. There are a couple of things when you're building around Cody that I think that you need to remember. First of all, ramp is still good. I think it can feel really um, tempting to just fill your Cody deck with like impactful spells. But what I found was that even getting to cast a Eureka moment off of a Cody often generated more than enough advantage. And here's another thing as well, is that um, having a few good cheap spell hits in your deck was very important because you know, you want to be able to like cast a Maelstrom Pulse off of Cody and then still get value. So I even have a couple of one mana spells in the deck, such as Abundant Harvest and Brainstorm, which are both just very good spells anyway. But it happens a lot where like you, you, the spell you want to cast for your sweet Cody turn happens to be a two drop. And so in, in this configuration, you can still get it done. So that's one of the first things I think to think about when you're building around Cody is that you want to have good, important spells which matter basically at all parts of the game at different mana costs. And so, you know, cards like Explore, Expressive Iteration, Growth Spiral, these are all just, you know, additional things that you can hit off of your Cody. And even if it's not that huge of an impact, you're still getting some value out of it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, i totally into that. Of course, ramp is important. So, yep, ramping ramping is very good. Another thing is that Cody is so cheap. The first time you resolve Cody, it costs you three mana. I just almost every matchup, unless I had a compelling reason not to, I'd just cast Cody on three. Um, it forces your opponent to deal with it. They know that they can't pass go. You know what I mean? They know that they can't let you on tap with it. And they they can't. They really can't. If your opponent ever lets you on tap with Cody, especially at the beginning of the game, you usually just snowball advantage so quickly, they just can't do anything about it. There are so many interesting cards here that I want to ask about. Yeah, um, yeah if... get into it, man. Okay, so one thing I wanted to note is Cody says you can't cast permanent spells. Yes. And nowhere like in... You, you didn't avoid permanence, though. There is still a number of permanents in the deck. That's something that I also found when I played it in Brawl and tried a standard deck, is you should still play permanence and don't get trapped into... You might get stuck with your Arcane Signet in your hand, right? So, so one thing to remember with Cody is getting cards stuck in your hand is not a problem. As long as Cody's on the battlefield, you're winning. That's the gig. That's the rule. So, like, it's okay. under very unusual circumstances, will you have, like, a Cody on the battlefield for a number of turns and have cards stuck in your hand that you can't cast and have that be a problem? So, yeah, I'm okay. I'm running Search for Azkanta. I'm running Arcane Signet. Basically, the idea is cheap permanence. And then I have... I'm sure you noticed that I'm running a couple of bruisers in the list, too. Yeah, I, I want to get to the, the setup for the bruisers. Yes. So, what I can see here... 
I see a Neza Hall, the Primal Tide, which is, by the way, a 100-card Historic Brawl favorite of mine as well. Such a good Got card. into a lot of decks. Yeah. What a beast. Nezzy, as I affectionately call her. <laughs> Nezzy, all right. <laughs> and um, Jenga Taxes, Core Augur, which reasonable 10 mana flash five four on honestly that one was more for the lols than anything else that was more for the like you know make viewers on my stream go wow content achieved not yes. not necessarily like the sweatiest of picks and so those are in the deck and what i see is that lurking deep in this thing is a transmogrify so is the idea that you transmogrify your own cody into one of these i did that plenty of times and it was fantastic they don't see it coming man who expects transmogrify on your own cody i mean that's that's it's, crazy it's next level but here's there's a few other ways to get it going on so we do have Auron's epiphany that makes some birds we also have mm -hmm. commence the end game which makes tokens this is a five color deck. Why would you not run Field of the Dead? So I have Field of the Dead in there as well. So that gives you some zombies. I never had a problem drawing the Transmogrify. It was basically the best draw every time I played the deck. You know, if I drew wow. that card, I was like, we are going off this game. It's going to be sick. Nice. Yeah. You also have Hour of Promise. Um, oh, yeah, here's a, here's a fun thing to say about the format. A lot of decks are Field of the Dead decks. Like, you need a reason to not be a Field of the Dead deck. I'm very glad that you mentioned that. That was going to be one of my main soapboxes. My first rule of the format is play Field of the Dead. My Teferi deck is a, an Azorius deck only, Field of the Dead deck. <laughs> nice. And it's not a meme, dude. It's not a meme. You can do it. There are enough lands to do it. Yep. And basically, this is what I found is that, first of all, being able to play your own Feel of the Dead is great. And so I do, that's ground zero. But the other thing in my Teferi deck was that I have several steel cards, such as Agent of Treachery and Lay Claim, which I play. And so you can nab your opponent's Field of the Dead, which not only neutralizes their threat, but when you build your own deck around Field of the Dead, you can immediately start triggering it as well. So mm -hmm. that was kind of a way that I was shooting to next level the format. Yeah, and on that note, Lay Claim, Agent of Treachery, Imbolus's Clutches are three steel target permanents that go in a lot of these blue decks and five color decks, whatever decks have blue in the color identity, because stealing your opponent's commander is one of the only true ways to grind them out. Because Absolutely. If, if you just have and keep playing your commander, you're in a lot of games. But if you can steal it, they're in big trouble. Absolutely, especially later in the game when they might have run through all of their removal. I also didn't mention mass manipulation, but that one doesn't hit Field of the Dead. But that is one that you can run. Still very good. I'm glad that you mentioned this, these legendary sorceries because they're pretty good. And I think that they get better in specifically this format because you're just a lot more likely to have a legendary creature out at any given time or, or a planeswalker. Like um, I do have Yawgmoth's Vile Offering in this deck and I found it to be freaking sweet. Yeah, that, that card is not a joke if you're in black and you have a reasonably priced commander. Like yep. that's usually on the board. Yeah. Yawgmoth's Vile Offering stealing something epic and exiling probably their commander or something great of theirs. Pretty great. Or destroying, I should say. So just a few more things I wanted to point out for this list. I won a lot of games by just casting Awakening of Vitu Ghazi and then like getting some time walks off with it. Wow. <laughs> 
So this this deck can just do, you can have such powerful turns, right? So just think about a turn when you you untap with Cody, you cast the Sorcery Awakening of Vitugazi, and then you get this hasty threat, it's a 9-9, and you also get a free spell, right? Maybe you get to... Okay. Do I under do I understand this right? If you cast Awakening of Vidugazi and hit repeated reverberation, does that work? That's a really great question. I'm not sure. There are many interactions in this deck which I wasn't sure about. Okay. It's an experiment. It's it's an experiment in motion. Yet one of the ones that disappointed me was that, okay, so if you cast uh, Approach of the Second Sun mm-hmm. after casting repeated verberation reverberation in my mind it should work right you should win the game on the spot because the copies from repeated reverberation resolve first right so yeah so i don't understand why it doesn't work it says you the when the game clause only takes place if you cast approach of the second sun from your hand yeah but i but i was right so it's the second time you cast it from your hand you're not casting it with the reverberation okay so so i cast it from my hand uh-huh. I have an active reverberation, right? Yep. So is it actually tracking that you had to cast it from your hand twice? Mm-hmm. Is that what it does? Yes. You the 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 when the game thing goes off only if you cast it from your hand for the second time in the game. But I thought that if like you could cast it any way you wanted the first time, but the second one had to be from your hand, right? Judge. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't work, but I was disappointed. I do think that's a cool inclusion, though. Yeah. What, what I want to do is hit him with a thought distortion. Dude. Like, I, we, we talked about blue in the format. Thought distortion sounds like it should be a rock star. That's, that's why I ran it in this list. And again, casting thought distortion with an active Cody and then hitting just anything, basically, is just another win the game clause. So, and then here's, here's the secret with this deck. It's a ramp deck, and in the late game, you just rip these powerful spells off the top and you just hard cast them and they win the game. Also, um, if you run any red deck in the format, you have to run Mizzix's Mastery. If it seems like an insane Mizzix's Mastery deck, it is. Every time I overloaded it, it was an insta-win, don't pass go, don't collect 500. It was just devastating. So in conclusion, this deck, uh, I'll include a link to the deck list, and it looks like a meme, and it is just absolutely an amazing deck. What do you think is the best deck in the format? After doing the research. Or, or you know what we can do? We can do uh, what three decks were you going to play and which one do you think is the best? Yes, okay. Because, uh, by the way, our showdown got canceled because you can't actually challenge a friend in 100-card Historic Brawl. You can do it in regular Brawl, but there is no option to do the 100-card version with a commander. Yep, which was just such a shame. So, yeah, so the three decks that I ended up on were... It was, it was basically two sweaty decks and a fun deck. And so I just picked Golos, Teferi, and then Cody. Nice. And I was probably going to play them roughly in that order as well. You know, not the most creative choices, I would say, but I did happen to think that the first two were the best two decks in the format. And, uh, and I knew that you'd be bringing some heat. So I wanted to bring something that could actually compete and not just get rolled. So yeah. what, what were you looking to bring? Well, I didn't get that far before I got your message. But if I had to... Um... The first thing I... I'll just go quickly over some of the decks I tried. I tried Omnath and found it very inconsistent. Fun, but not doing it. 
necessarily. Not good enough as a commander, although I would consider running just the creature in any like four or five color deck because it's a solid just creature to play. Yeah. I I've, I had a lot of twisted fun with Yorian and uh, Teferi. Both of those I thought were really uh, good in a way, um, in their own way, and they made people rage. So that was nice. But how, I, Sorry to interrupt. Uh, how competitive did you think Yorian was? Because I played against it a few times, and it definitely kept up. So there's kind of two ways to go with it. You can try to go the blue-white way with a lot of counter magic, or you can go with the maximize Yorian way with just a little bit of counter magic. I I enjoyed the maximize Yorian deck a lot more, so I focused on that, and that just runs a ton of like the golden egg, sleeper dart, like all the two mana artifacts that draw a card, so that your Yorian is always just snowballing into more and more value. It also ran like Sailor of Means to just get free treasures. Yeah, so you just have more mana to play your Yorian again and again. So to answer the question of how good it is, it's really bad if the opponent's countering your Yorian. Like you just, you can't win. You do nothing. <laughs> so it, it doesn't have the power, the raw power level on its own that like a Golos deck does where, okay, they countered your Golos three times, but now they have to let your, you know, Magma Opus resolve or whatever. You know, just that raw powerful spell backbone because your backup spells are, like I said, Sailor of Means and Omen of the Sun and things like that. But if your opponent isn't countering your Yorian, that deck is absurdly strong. So if there were actually an aggro in the format, Yorian would feast upon it. But based on the way the format shaped up with a lot of counter spells, I wouldn't recommend the Yorian deck. So uh, I also found Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, really good. But I didn't find as good as my other two blue commanders, uh, Baral, being what I think was the best deck in the format. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I thought that Baral, which I was just started calling Barrel to not confuse Beryl. people because it sounds like <laughs> Brawl. I thought that Barrel was absurdly broken. Like, wow. if you're on the play and you play a turn two Barrel and he lives, I felt like I was unbeatable for the rest of the game. The selection from every counterspell also getting to loot was incredible. And when my opponent ramped into Coma, I stole it. I mean, it was gross. You know, this might be the delta between what other people built in their Baral decks and how well they played them versus what CGB built in your Baral deck and how well you played it. Because I didn't lose to Baral. Ever. Really? Nope. Not no? once. Not ever? Nope. That would have been a fun showdown then. Well, yeah, all all three of my kind of main decks that I was playing, even some of the other ones, yeah, I, I never once lost to that card. It seemed strong. It had potential. It did cool things. I But one of the things that I noticed in, so I had an epic, and it was really an epic, like 45-minute long game to Fairy versus Baral on, on stream. That was fun. We, oh, um, it's so sweet. We both got to do all the things, you know? We both got to really flex our deck. And I, I just found that Teferi in the long game just generated more card advantage than Baral did, right? Because every time my opponent resolved that Baral, nothing happened. They, they had it, cool, they had it on the field, but nothing happened, right? Whereas every time I resolved my Teferi, I could either draw a card or tuck one of their important permanents. So it was actually like gaining me immediate card advantage. And so in a, over the course of a long game, like I cast my Teferi like seven to ten times or something like that and each of those times it was like netting me card advantage it resolved each time 
I mean, you know, I played well. <laughs> okay, gotcha. I, I buy it. I buy it. You won your counter wars. The yep. mana war is a big factor. I, I do. This brings me to another like brawl thing that I've been preaching from the beginning, the very first day I played the format. You need to run a lot more land. Yes. Like uh, like every this this one in particular, the auto adder for land didn't add forty percent land automatically. I don't know what the number was, but it shorted you uh, if you just went with the auto includer it it wasn't calibrated right for 100 card decks um but anyway once you get past that which i i never use that thing anyway i'm always starting most people will tell you like you need 35 to 40 land something like that i am starting with about 50 percent mana production i so you get you get um your commander is part of your 100, right? So you have 99 cards. I was always trying to get up to about 48 cards that were lands or artifacts that made mana or like ramp cards before I even started adding spells because you do need to outland your opponent. And that's one way that like Teferi's resolve is when you have enough mana to cast Teferi and the counter spell to protect it. You know what I mean? Whereas I felt like whenever I played with Baral, I just get that down on turn two. For the rest of the game, I make every land drop. Every turn, I try to double spell, which is counter something and draw some cards. So I have a lot of like Chemister's Insights and Glimmer of Genius and all those things. And then eventually, the opponent goes into the big counter war. It, you, they, you, they, they can win. I often would lose it, but then I'd untap and cast Lay Claim right? And maybe have one more counter spell that I saved because I was planning to lose that counter war, you know? And that was usually the part where they conceded. That or I would untap after the counter war and cast time warp and all runs epiphany and then something else, you know? You, I, I don't know. I had no problems. And playing Baral, I felt pretty unstoppable because it's, it's playing a control deck with a two mana ramp card that ramps like your whole deck. It's absurd. I mean, uh, yeah, it is a shame that we didn't get to do the showdown because I, I really would love to test with you like Teferi versus Baral and just see how, how good that matchup really is. That does sound like a fun like a fun thing to play. I also had one of those like 45-minute games of Baral versus Teferi. I think it's on my YouTube video, but it was another good one where it. I was on the Teferi side. I did win, but I also felt the whole time like I was going to lose, and I do think I did have a big mana advantage. I had Midnight Clock and uh, Mindstone, I think, on the first two, three turns. Yeah, getting down a clock in those control matchups is a pretty big deal. I also just found one of the things I was worried about and one of my things that I worry about in general with this format is just that single color commanders limit your card pool. And they also limit the amount of things that your deck can do. And so, for example, one of the nice things about playing the Teferi deck is you have board wipes, you have Elspeth Conquer's death, you have, you know, these effects that you just couldn't get in a Baral deck. And I found some of those to be actually really helpful in a matchup like that. So like, for example, my opponent stole my Teferi, but I was able to ECD it and get it back, you know, and if I'd been playing in blue and someone like, you know, stole my Planeswalker, like, how do you in blue? How do you get your opponent's Link Planeswalker? Of an eye. Oh, does it do it? Nice. Oh, you gotta you gotta have blink of an eye into the royal. I think you need all that like those bounce effects too. Yeah, probably the brazen list, borrower as well. Yep. So, but yeah, so I, I just I found the diversity of just the card selection to be better in the two plus color decks, and so that was one of my concerns. I I also the other blue deck I would have played is Galazeth Prismari. 
So I really want to hear about this deck because it it actually seemed really strong. And I was actually wondering whether Galazeth could be a good like counter to Teferi. I feel like in a vacuum, one of the things I like about the Galazeth deck, which I didn't actually play, but you can probably confirm this, is that you can basically spend like your first three turns just generate like casting a bunch of cheap artifacts, which anytime your Galazeth is on the battlefield, it, like they immediately turn into mana rocks, right? So I would imagine that it's like playing Teferi, except like you enter turn four or five with like like seven to ten mana on the battlefield, which is just like devastating in a control matchup or in any matchup, really. Yeah, assuming that you can spend your first turn or two playing a card like Gilded Globe or Golden Egg, which are great because they draw you cards, and then once you have your commander, they are mana. So if you can picture a deck full of arcane signets that also draw a card when they enter the battlefield, that's what Galazeth is like playing, given that you can do a specific thing, which is on turn three or four, depending if you ramped, play your Galazeth and have it live. It needs to live for another turn. So it's really important that you have like two mana counters, ways to protect it. Uh, I have Dive Down in my list, kind of a forgotten protector of dragons. If you ever played the good old Niv-Mizzet Dive Down list. Yeah, things like that. Also like Lofty Denial, Memory Lapse, things like that should be pretty, for the most part, self-explanatory counter spell because if you have one artifact and then Galazeth comes out and makes a treasure you have two mana so you have two blue mana so you can counter something and then untap with Galazeth and then the fun thing and this is why I like this deck the most it might be a bias maybe this is kind of a weakness of the deck but I love it when you untap the next turn you usually have like six seven eight mana so you get to do things like untap and go straight to all runs epiphany or uh my favorite, cast Brass's Bounty, which creates a treasure for every land that you control. And then you use those treasures to cast more spells. Uh, you cast Boon of the Wish Giver and draw four. You know, you... On, on that note, just a quick side note. I don't know if... I'm trying to see if you're running it in this deck, but you want to know what my favorite counter spell of the entire format ended up being? What is it? Spell Swindle. Spell Swindle is nice, but it's so expensive. You you actually got this to work? Uh, well, yeah, because think about this. Like, over the course of a long game of Commander, like, your opponent's Commander is going to cost more and more and more, right? And it's just like, eventually, you almost always get an opportunity to cast it when your opponent's tapped out. And in a non-counter spell matchup, Spell Swindle was just bazonkers, dude, especially in a ramp format, right? So, okay, so for example, actually, honestly, I didn't have a single match where I resolved Spell Swindle where I didn't, the opponent didn't concede immediately afterwards. Not a single one. I had an opponent, like, I was playing to my Teferi deck, the opponent, like, triumphantly plays Ulamog, right? Like, okay, this is my way to get back into this game. They exile my Teferi. They exile another important permanent. I spell swindle it, and my opponent just takes one look at the treasure, and they're just out. <laughs> they were my, just out. Oh, man. My my head says meme, and my heart says yes. <laughs> just try it, man. And next time you're able okay. to do it, I, I found it to be a competitive card in the format, and I wrecked. Okay. I wrecked with Spell Swindle. But yes, Brass's Bounty is also sick. 
Brass's Bounty is really nice. That's a good way to overload your Mizzix Mastery and cast your Brass's Bounty again. He- oh. oh. Oh, very <laughs> you nice. You see where I'm going? Yep. All right. Also, cast a few uh, Time Warps. Like, I, <laughs> it was real. I, I did have a Mizzix Mastery on, I think it was like turn like five or something, where I cast all three Time Walks from my graveyard. Oh, gnarly. The Time Warp, the All Runs Epiphany, and Karn's Temporal Sundering. Let's highlight Karn's Temporal Sundering, because this is just such a cool card. Uh, it's a four blue, blue sorcery return all non. Uh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong card. Target player takes an extra turn after this one, return up to one target non land permanent to its owner's hand, and then you exile the Sundering. And so this is like bounce spell plus extra turn. And the only drawback is that you need to have a legendary creature out or planeswalker to cast it. Like your commander. This card did so much work for me. I basically played it in all of my blue decks and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it it got into every deck where I either expected to have a lot of mana or keep my commander on the battlefield regularly. I also want to say a great thing about Galazeth is that it's a dragon. And in historic, that has some payoffs. So I got to run Sarkin Fireblood which is a three-mana Planeswalker with the plus one to add two mana of any combination of colors and use it to cast dragon spells. So it's a Planeswalker for three mana that pays your commander tax for you and just helps you play Galazeth over and over, which is... Yep. Another card I'm noticing here that must have been bonkers in this deck was Spitflame. Spitflame is uh, a forgotten relic. This is four damage to target creature. For two and a red instant, that is not very impressive. But whenever a dragon enters a battlefield under your control, you can pay red. If you do, you return Spitflame to your owner's hand. So every time you play your commander, you can get it back. And you just, if your opponent is playing their own Galazeth or Baral or anything that isn't Golos with five toughness or higher, like as long as their commander is like a Kinnon, you're just killing it. Every it's a time. log. It's just it's, yeah. it's almost a hard lock on the game. I mean, that's just that's gnarly. I really appreciate that. There's also Dragon's Horde, which is another forgotten dragon synergy for your commander, which says whenever a dragon enters a battlefield under your control, you can put up a gold counter on it and then remove the gold counter to draw a card. So it's like a second Tome of Legends if you played with that card much as I did. So I actually wanted to ask you about that. I mean, obviously, it's just off the chain in this particular deck, but... How did you find it generally? I found that I was interested in playing it in like my controly decks, but not that interested in playing it in like Golos or some of my Tome Mark of and... Legends. Yep, Tome of Legends. Yeah, uh, I ran it in almost every time my commander was a creature, and I wasn't too concerned about time. Yeah, so so like like you said, kind of controly decks. You said you weren't that interested in Golos. I still played in Golos, but definitely wasn't great there. Uh, in in Baral, like I definitely played it with in the Baral yeah, deck with a like yeah. with a really cheap commander. It's pretty oh, yeah. gas. Yeah, Kinnon, absolutely. Yep, like the, the absolute rock star anywhere. Also in with in with Galazeth, you can tap it for mana, so of course it makes sense. But also you're attacking with your commander pretty often, so it gets a counter. Did you know Toma Legends is a weird card? If your opponent steals your commander and attacks you with it, it gets a counter. Really. Yeah, that's pretty gas. Dude. Even though the opponent controls it, like it's still your commander attacking, so you get the counter and you get to draw cards if they All attack right. you with your commander. That's that's pretty awesome. <laughs> you got to give props for that. Yeah, it's pretty funny. That's fantastic. Here's another question: um, How often did you end up going off with Azor's gateway in this deck? Not too often. I, mm-hmm. I think I only like flipped it. 
did I ever even flip it? I, I definitely cut it from the later versions. It definitely wasn't doing much for me, to be okay. honest. Okay, that's that's good to know because, I mean... I usually didn't have the mana around for it. Yeah, it does look like you could definitely feed a card like that with this deck, but I just wasn't sure whether that's what the games ended up being about. On a related note to a card that is from the same like block that needs to flip, I flip Storm the Vault almost every time. Okay, uh, that's another card I was curious about. But what does it flip into? So Storm the Vault is a two and a blue red for a legendary enchantment. Whenever a creature deals damage to a player, create a treasure token uh, to an opponent. At the beginning of your end step, if you control five or more artifacts, transform Storm the Vault. It turns into Vault of Catlicon, which is a legendary land that taps for one mana of any color or taps for a blue mana for each artifact you control. Oh, nasty. Which is basically what, Tolarian Academy? Yeah, I had some lovely games where I had like played Brass's Bounty and I went and I played Storm the Vault. I went to my end step with a stop on it. I flipped it into the Vault of Catlicon. I added the mana and I expansion explosion to my opponent's face for lethal in my end step. That is nasty. That's an especially nasty combo because you can generate all the mana and then sack all the treasure. So, uh, yeah, that that is true. You could sack the treasure if you have your commander. Just tap the treasures and keep them because yep. of the gal's ability. Yeah, yeah. Expansion explosion rock star in this deck for sure. This is an example of why this format's really cool because you have a deck full of cards that just really wouldn't be very good in most other decks in the format, but with your particular commander, they really shine. And I just think that that's amazing. Yeah, it is. It's why commander, the format, like gives second life to a lot of cards that were basically forgotten by the spikes of MTG. Like we were talking about lightning greaves, greaves earlier, right? And like these are these are cards that people just the spikes haven't registered for a long time. Nobody ever played Storm the Vault, you know, in competitive uh, standard. But here, here it is being a rock star because of this specific commander that is that adds a consistency of a certain effect that you just didn't get otherwise. Totally, and then you get to run other sweet cards like Shimmer Dragon, which again is a card that you probably wouldn't run in most other decks in the format but this guy probably drew you like a billion cards right oh he drew me the concession like nobody <laughs> wanted to sit through the hexproof shimmer dragon drawing like an extra three to four cards a turn if i had nothing else to do with my artifacts yeah that that is just auto fill i i will say there aren't a lot of things that can deal with or fly through a five six flying hexproof i believe that yep that is that is just straight gnarliness. So yeah, this is definitely 10 out of 10 for getting to dust off those interesting cards and give them new life. Thanks. The last deck I would have played is probably also Golos. And I don't have a lot to say about Golos that you haven't said, but I, uh, the one thing I do want to throw in there is I experimented with this and I saw a lot of other people doing it. Golos is kind of a messed up five color commander in that you don't have to play five colors. So, like, I, I played against Grixis and Demir Golos, where the only card in the deck that wasn't Grixis or Demir was, like, the World Tree. So you could just fetch it, and then you have the mana to spin your Golos, but the rest of the deck is all, like, counterspells and removal and, like, Nicole Boluses and things like that. And you can do that with Golos. You can play blue-white Golos 
and just run all the cards you would run with Teferi, but you have Golos and World Tree, so you can spin your Golos wheel when you want to, to take over the game. It's kind of sick in that way. Yep. I mean, you know, a lot of people who were playing Historic back when Golos was still legal, would they'd build, like, Bant Golos decks. So they, Golos decks tended to be three-color decks, like the really competitive ones. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's an excellent point. Um, I think that my Golos deck was like uh, it was mostly bent with little red, and I don't think I had a single black spell in the deck. Understandable, yeah. I, I, black in general, it, it's good for like thoughtsies type effects, but at the end of the day, that and their cheap Doomblade type things are one for one removal in a format of like endless value, endless value. Did your Golos deck have Marari's Wake? Yes, I did play Marari's Wake, nice. and that was busted. Nice. It was yeah, just that that card is just a, a sickening card in the decks that can run it for sure, especially Field of the Dead decks. So let's let's actually get into some of the cards that we that just really stood out to us in the format. I think we've highlighted a lot of them. One of the things that I wanted to talk about was the land package. Um, you have access to a surprising number of highly relevant lands in this format, and there are certain lands that I just tried to get into every deck. So Field of the Dead was obviously one. Um, Field of Ruin, for taking care of your opponent's Field of the Dead and or their other relevant lands, was uh, very good. Scavenger Grounds, card that I played in almost every deck. And then I, I ended up playing a number of deserts in this format. Uh, Scavenger Grounds is one. But um, I ended up going with like a lot of the colored deserts, uh, like Ipnu Rivulet and what, you know, that cycle. Because Can I say really quick, the Rivulet into Fairy is actually a clutch card because if you Teferi to like put their coma into their deck, then you mill you it. You just mill it out. Yep. Yeah. Or uh, as well with um, uh, Mind, oh, what's the counter spell that puts it on top of their library? Memory lapse. Memory yeah. lapse, yep. It's just another another way that you can do it. There's actually a lot of effects that are putting stuff back into your opponent's library, and then you just mill or you shuffle it away. Field of mm-hmm. Ruin, of course, shuffles your opponent's library as well. But yeah, so you play these extra deserts partially because if you're playing Hour of Promise, it just gives you the chance to get two free zombies, which is nice. And then, but even if not, like for example, I had games when I'd have a Scavenger Grounds out and any other desert. And you can just sack your other desert to the scavenger grounds, and then you get to use it again. And other good deserts were just the cycle of cycling deserts, which they come in tapped. They generate one mana of their respective colors, and they cycle for one and uh, whatever that color is. Just very, very usable cycling land. So the, I thought that the deserts package was a good one, and I basically put it in just about every deck that I built. It also just diversifies your lands for Field of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, Ghost Quarter is another. It's another one as well that you can play, which destroys your opponent's Field of the Dead. So those those are very very important. What do you think, CGB? I started with a lot of those cards. I ended up trimming like the Ghost Quarters and the Scavenging Grounds pretty often because I wasn't activating them much, and mm. that might have to do with like the meta because mm-hmm. what commander you play de- determines your meta. And I was just my meta was all like Teferi and Golos near the end and Kinnan. Yeah, and I just didn't need them. But I also ran Reliquary Tower a lot, uh, a Very true commander card. player by nature. I was, I was just, like, I had so many cards that, I had so many decks that drew so many cards, dude. <laughs> it, it, they just drew so many cards, which is, for a, a mage like me, that's part of the fun of playing the format. Absolutely. 
So on cards that stand out in the format, um, I don't know if you had more to add on the lands. Did you have anything else to add on that? that? That was mostly it. I would just, you know, if you're building in this format, I would really recommend that you like, I basically just like pulled up all the lands basically for every deck and you you got to go through all of them man because there's just so many yeah. sweet lands that do these little niche things and they can be super relevant so it's yeah. it's unfortunate because you know building decks in the format just takes a long time anyway you look at it you got to pick yes. 100 cards and sometimes like you got to pick like 45 individual lands yeah it takes a long time but you know if you want to have a really dialed deck you got to do it unless you just download decks from content creators which is totally fine you know, yeah, it you works. I want to say, if you resolve Emergent Ultimatum in this format, you should win the game. You ought to, right? <laughs> There's three time walks. <laughs> yes, you ought to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that card should just be lethal if you have your deck set up in an interesting way. Just on its own. Just boom, we're done. Agreed. Yep. Another card that I just found was consistently bazonkers was Oracle of Moldaya. Any green deck, play it. I don't care what green deck it is. I don't care what you're trying to do. Like yeah. like CGB said, making your land drops is one of the most important things you can do in this format. And you get the Oracle down, you start jamming lands off the top of your library. It's pretty disgusting. Uh, yeah, I didn't play that one enough. Yep. Yeah, I should have played that more. I, I played it in Omnath, but didn't play it in Golos for a long time. That was a mistake. Here's one thing that a lot of people overlooked is that there were cards that were printed into Historic and then very quickly banned uh, in the Mystical Archive, which were legal yeah. in this format. So yeah. any white deck should be playing Swords to Plowshares. I can't tell you how many Winota decks I freaking ruined with Swords to Plowshares. <laughs> disgusting. It's really yeah. disgusting. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other examples. There were a lot of them, actually. I was looking through the list, and I was like, wow, I can play this card. Lightning Bolt play was Lightning another Bolt? one, which didn't yeah, end up did being very good in the format. Yeah, it, it's never been that great in Commander because it's just one-for-one one removal. One-for-one one removal in general is really good in constructed formats and not that great in Commander because value is mostly unlimited. You need to be doing bigger things. Yep. Except in the case of Swords, where it's just too cheap to not play it, basically. They did keep Tainted Pack, Demonic Tutor, and Natural Order banned, which I was kind of like, I, I kind of wanted to go nuts with those, to be honest. Yep, yep. I think Tainted Pact is too strong in a singleton format, but I don't know if Demonic Tutor was too strong, I guess. Aren't they, they the same? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess that's true. The, here's the thing, though, is that there's all kinds of additional nonsense that you can get up to with Tainted Pact, right? Yep, you can do the Thassa's Oracle thing. Exactly. If you are if you have that. But that is currently legal in Commander and a big part of competitive EDH. Yeah. Yeah, and so I mean, I don't know. for good reason, because it's just at least, degenerate. At least it ends the game, kind of. But think about it. 100-card deck, MTG Arena client, can you really taint impact your deck? Can you really do it? That's, that's an excellent question, I don't think you can. Yeah, yeah. These, these are the questions of our time, for sure. And then I think sometimes people just forget that you can actually play commanders in your deck, right? So just, you know, put an Omnath in your deck, put a Golos in your deck, put a Galazeth Prismari in your deck. As long as they're not also your commander, that's a great move. Yep, yep. <laughs> that, is, yep. that is a catch. <laughs> yep. So, you know, these formats reward people who are willing to just like burn the midnight oil and study the card pool. 
Oh, yeah. I think it's very relevant to ask, like, did you find so-and-so? It's not just like a theoretical question. It's like, no, did you actually just freaking scour the vault and remember that such and such a random card was in this format? Yeah, I always found that questions like that on my videos very kind of... Like, they'll ask me, why didn't you, you know, what about this card? I'm like, did you think I didn't remember that card exists? Standard is not that big, and we've been playing with it for a year, but sure, I'll consider Lovestruck Beast in the future. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. But with this with this format, when you say, like, go, like did you find Domri and Archibolas for your Golos deck? It's actually, like, I, it's not, it's kind of, I always thought of it as a gruel creature commander. I, I never would have put it in my Niv-Mizzet deck, you know? And here, like... It's oh that is that crushes Baral all by itself like it solos that matchup so yeah there's a lot of these cool tech cards um like I I think somebody had to suggest to me in chat storm the vaults for the Galazeth deck and as soon as I played with it I was like this is insane like this totally. is madness yeah I know I I was I was fortunate as well to do a fair amount of brewing on stream and definitely got reminded of excellent cards yeah. I needed to be playing so. So now I understand why people do those suggestions because in in formats like this, like you need them. Nobody can remember all these cards. No, yeah, only a true nutter would mm -hmm. indeed remember. Um, okay, anything else you want to say about historic brawl before we move along to dungeons? We talked about that a lot, so thanks for sticking with us. I hope you, that we get it back so we you can make some use of all this uh, discussion because I love doing this. Me too, man. I Yeah, this is kind of a, like, keep the hosts happy kind of an episode. So, <laughs> yep. And, uh, yeah, apologies, Crafty. This is just going to be one of our long episodes. So, there you go. I, but, however, I happen to know that you're statistically likely to enjoy it. So, fantastic. <laughs> All right. So, we got these dungeons spoiled for us. And I think Covert Go Blue is a little more versed in it than I am, but we're both still finding our way with the mechanic. So CGB, why don't you explain to us what's going on with these D&D dungeons? I'll try. So this was, we were going to do a whole episode that was Historic Brawl, and then this broke on Thursday. So like yesterday, um, I believe. And Adventures in the Forgotten Realms is a D&D themed set. And I know that when I heard that, I was like, cool, I can picture a lot of these cards that I've heard about like being D&D related. It, it, it didn't blow my mind that we were going to get Dritzdord and on a magic card after I read some of the lore. I was like, these can share a world. But we're going, like, this goes way beyond, I think, what I expected in a D&D set for Magic the Gathering. Because they're introducing, I mean, do you call it a mechanic? I, I guess we'll call it a mechanic. They're introducing the mechanic of dungeons. And a dungeon, apparently there are three. And if you just, they, 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 they don't go in your sideboard. Yes. They don't go in your deck. They, it's almost just, it's like a treasure token or something, right? It, it, I, I guess it doesn't enter the battlefield ever. Mm, it, I, I guess it goes to the place a planeswalker emblem goes. Like, mm -hmm. just this uninteractable... Uh, they call it the command zone, actually. Right. They actually do call it the command zone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, somewhere when the game starts, you just kind of, Or, I guess, when you activate your dungeon by using the mechanic venture into a dungeon, this dungeon becomes activated, 
and it just has these levels of different effects that you receive. So um, I'm going to look at Lost Mine of Fendelver, and the first level is Scry 1. It's called the Cave Entrance. So I'm assuming when you play a card that has the text Venture into a Dungeon on it, mm-hmm. the, then this the, thing will get revealed. the Dungeon. Okay, oh, advance. Yes. Sure. They'll, they'll correct so, us. So there you go. When you play a card that says venture into the dungeon, you'll reveal Lost Mine of Bandelver in your command zone, and you'll take advantage of the first ability, which is to scry one. And mm. then there are more abilities. Um, Loss of Fandelver has then a choice for the next time you use the dungeon mechanic. Which, again, you have to play or use a card that says on it, venture into a dungeon. And the next ability could be either create a 1-1 goblin creature token or create a treasure token. And then there's other options. And then eventually you get to the bottom of the dungeon where it says draw a card. And then you've completed the dungeon. And there are also cards that do something different when you complete a dungeon. But the idea is we've got this kind of secondary quest that provides some value to you that exists completely outside of the game. Like, is that how do you find that to be an okay description? Yes, yeah, I, I do. And just to clarify a few things, so you always have access to all three dungeons. And when you first venture, let me remember what this keyword is again. When you first venture into the dungeon, you get to choose any of these. So, okay. So just think about these like, any magic player at any time when they venture into the dungeon they just get to pick one of these and go from there interesting i yeah. i also find it weird that the keyword unquote is called venture into the dungeon and not just called venture i agree yeah i agree we it's should we should just start option. using venture because venture. it is wordy <laughs> yeah i wonder if they did that to try to like up the storytelling feel of the set a little bit and maybe avoid the adventure mechanic that is still maybe, around. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, but yeah. it's 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 not even capitalized, so it doesn't even like stand out on the card. So I think it might there might be cards where you just kind of miss it, you know, because it just doesn't jump out at you. So I think yeah, that, okay, that could be a thing. So I don't know where to go from here to try to clarify what this is, but. Uh, they did reveal multiple cards, and we decided this isn't going to be like a spoiler talk show where we review all the cards. We're just yeah. going to talk about this mechanic because by next week, uh, I think spoiler season will proper start and we'll have a ton of cards to talk about. So we're yeah. still going to be talking about the new cards in the near future. But uh, I'm just going to say that there's like Shortcut Seeker is like three and a blue for a two five, and when it deals combat damage to a player, venture into the dungeon. So that's an idea of the where the mechanic fits into a regular magic card. There will probably yeah. be cards that are like two blue, like blue and two for a two, two flyer that ventures into a dungeon, you know, like the yeah. cards that they it's, just stick on. It's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. So that's where they're making it. So you progress through these dungeons and get these little bits of value as you go. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always hard to decide how strong these are going to be. You know, because some of them end up looking innocuous and then some of them and and then being busted and then some of them look busted and end up being not very impressive. So I think that it ultimately comes down to most of the time how playable 
the venture into the dungeon cards are in the first place, right? Yes. So when it's a mechanic like energy was a notable one where they basically just stuck energy onto otherwise playable cards, it was just an absolutely freaking busted mechanic. Whereas, you know, with the learn mechanic, you usually had to pay a pretty significant downside player spell that really wouldn't otherwise be playable. And that's basically what kept them out of best of three competitive standards. So, you know, it's kind of a boring assessment of it, but I think that that's ultimately where it's going to come down for like competitive constructed play. I think that you're right, but I think that one of the frustrating things we have to do is think about the synergy with every single card that has this venture mechanic with three different dungeons. It's true. And then each of these dungeons has like freaking multiple levels, right? So, yeah. So Tomb of Annihilation says each player loses one life. So say that there's a venture card that's like like a two-mana 2-2, two, two, but it says whenever a player loses life, draw a card and venture. And it also says venture into a dungeon. Well, then you're just always going to lose. You're always going to use Tomb of Annihilation as your dungeon, and you're going to draw two cards as soon as you play it. That's broken. So I don't think that card will exist, but you have to be on the lookout for stuff like that that wouldn't normally like show up on our radars. And you're right, because... If you're thinking about synergies with cards that trigger off different things happening, then these dungeons are kind of a nightmare because there's just a billion little options, right? So we've got yeah. scrying, make a treasure token, make a goblin token, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature. Each opponent loses, well, you know. Yeah, we get it, we get it, we get it. Yeah, and that's just <laughs> one, right? That's yeah, just one. Yeah, there's three of them. And if you think about adding this text to every single magic card that has the word venture in the dungeon, dungeon yeah then it becomes an absolute like what but that's what they did they yeah. kind of added three more cards worth of super wordy text that don't even have art i'm not kidding put these on screen bottle brush they don't even have art they're just words and they added basically this text yeah. at least as something you should consider to every single card that uses the keyword so do you think, Kovac Blue? I'm starting to think that they're just trying to come up with any reason to make a constructed format harder to solve. They're just throwing us so much raw material that they're hoping that we're just going to keep having to slog through it until the next set gets released. That's impossible, though, because when you say slog through it, like the player base of Spikes will solve it. If there is a broken path to go down, they will solve it in the first day. Because and when they do, when the one person who's been like preparing their whole life for this moment, who runs a very specific, let's say black white aristocrats deck, they've been running it this whole time, and now it just gained access to Tomb of Annihilation, and now it's broken, and they post their number one mythic, won forty matches in a row, untapped GG profile, a deckless screenshot, and then everybody plays it. Like so that doesn't work. I, I think they're just trying to keep this interesting. I mean, it's a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. I'm I mean, just trying to make sure we have options. And I mean, it's, I think, one of the biggest challenges. I think the people who are going to get the most Galaxy Brain with this are people playing it in Limited because all of these options are just going to get like so much more relevant in a format like Limited. Just stuff like Target Creature gets minus four, minus zero until end of turn. Like, you know, you can start working that into your game plan, right? 
And so I, I don't disagree with you, but this limited privilege thing, man, <laughs> this galaxy brain limited, limited is, is real brain magic. It's, it's going so far, but I don't disagree. Here's what it is, man, is that like you constructed mages get to play your own kind of galaxy brain magic. And I think it's just important for limited formats to have a lot of depth to keep them interesting. And so I think these cards are really pushed towards people like Deathsea, right? Who don't want to be like... So you're talking about like the spikes of solve the format on day one. You know, Deathsea doesn't want to feel like he's solved this Adventures in the Forgotten Realms on day one of drafting it. And so I think that maybe cards like this are going to hopefully keep players like Deathsea engaged a little longer. Man... Not only now do you force like you force color combinations, but you can force a dungeon type. Mm-hmm. Do you think that? I mean, that could be a thing. It's total archetype. Yeah, it's so weird. Um, like you can try to build decks around using this particular dungeon. This is a hard one to balance, right? Because for the most part, I look at these cards, and I'm not that impressed with most of the levels. But the fact is, if these effects. If, if this is attached to cards we would play anyway that already execute our game plan, then it's free value. And free value makes people mad in Magic. It ends up creating repetitive stuff. Like if you solve which dungeon is the best and which cards to play, then you just have to run that package and nothing else. It's like the adventure packages right now. It's free value because these are the good adventure cards that fit into this adventure color. It's the same problem with companion, right? When we figured out what the best companions were, you had to run a companion deck because it was a free card. Luris and uh, Yorian are still kind of lording over the format a good amount of the time. Even with the tax. So yeah, this is a weird mechanic. It's tough. It's confusing. It adds another level of analysis to every single card that dares touch the keyword, as well as the other cards that would trigger off of this if they were played in conjunction with cards that have the keyword. It's wild. And so think about this. I'm not going to read this card because we'll probably talk about it next week. But they've revealed a planeswalker whose plus one is venture into the dungeon. And so what you have is a planeswalker that basically plus ones to do any of approximately 100,000 billion things, depending on which dungeon you choose, which stage of the game you're in, etc., etc. And so I can see CGB like counting the options here. 22. (laughs) 22 options. 22. If you count one, that kind of triggers twice. 22. And so it's wild to think that you could be in a matchup and you could resolve this Planeswalker and you could be like, okay, this is my Tomb of Annihilation matchup. And you start ticking it up and you start... It's like you're taking a saga and you're stapling the chapters of the saga onto the plus one of your Planeswalker. So it's it's going to get deep, dude. It's going to get real deep. If I mean, if that Planeswalker ends up being remotely playable, it's going to be very interesting. And if that Planeswalker ends up being really good it might get like seriously maddening it yeah this has the potential to be a busted mechanic or a flop i've heard people say it's like learn and that if the lessons were absurd rate good cards like how broken would learn be it'd be incredibly broken um this is another like just way to get more value into your magic game if you do things a certain way so i'm we're going to have to evaluate it based on the cards that say venture into a dungeon on them. And until we see those, we don't really know how, how prevalent this will be. There is a world, 
there is a, a timeline that we may or may not be living in, right? Where every deck becomes a dungeon deck. Mm-hmm. Could be. One of the interesting things about it is that I think they've designed it in a way to make the rewards really stack. They really want to incentivize you to go further and further into the dungeon. And so it's interesting how, like, it, with that Planeswalker example, the first activation is a very, very negligible, it's going to net you a scry or gain one life or lose one life. Yep. But then you get, like, down to the end, like Mad Wizard's Lair, or Dungeon of the Mad Mage ends with this Mad Wizard's Lair, which is draw three cards and reveal them. You may cast one of them without paying its mana cost. Like, that's a heck of a payoff, dude. That's busted. You know, but you have to do one, two, three, four, five. So, yeah, this is the seventh time that you venture into the dungeon to actually get that trigger. So so you are rewarded for the more of this effect that you play. Yes, which exactly. Which is... It's why a critical mass of these cards being good is necessary to make the mechanic good. If there's only one really good venture into the dungeon card, it's not going to complete many dungeons. Absolutely. Like, you'd have to draw all four copies or copy it four times. I don't know. Reanimate it four times. But what if there's a card? What if there's a card that just has, like, ven- like, like a nine-mana card and it's like a creature and the ETB is venture into a dungeon but three times? Yep, exactly. Or I was thinking about this is going to be the next uh, Lucky Clover, right? It's just going to be every sure. time you venture, you venture twice. Yeah, that could definitely be a card. And if they're smart, they'll make it cost three mana instead of two. Or 20? <laughs> can we just not? <laughs> yeah, can we just skip? <laughs> exactly. Because this, like like we've been kind of alluding to, this this can get old. Yes. Like, I, I'm already a little exhausted of tracking what the dungeons do, and we haven't even seen the cards. Absolutely. I'm, I feel a little tired on it as well. It's one of those things where, in my mind, it makes me want for these venture cards to be simple, right? Because it's like, think about, you know, you like print a questing beast, which has also every time this creature attacks, it ventures into the dungeon, and it just starts to get freaking absurd, right? So yep. I really hope that they just keep it lean, keep it mean, keep it focused. Yeah, fingers crossed. But the main thing we wanted to do today is just kind of go over that these exist because it's a pretty big reveal. And if any of you out there are using us as your MTG news source, like this is something to start getting your head around now that there's going to be yet another kind of separate adventure zone. Ha, that's a podcast about D&D. Did you know that? <laughs> it is going to be an adventure zone that's not the adventure zone from Eldraine where there's a dungeon that gets you value and it's going to be weird. It's a different one. It's just another nebulous exile zone that's happening alongside all of the other ones that you yeah. know of in Magic. So It's going to get weird. It's going to get weird, but you know, I mean, it keeps things fresh and that's what we're mostly excited about. So I'm happy to see progress and I'm starting to feel pretty stoked about the set. And we're going to get like elbow deep into these spoilers next week. So just strap yourselves in crafties. Also, just wanted to say that um, I think this is actually this spoiler season in particular is a really good one for us to debut a new style of set review. Mm -hmm. We've received feedback and also just between the two of us kind of been thinking about how our epic like 10 episode set episode set reviews in the past were maybe a little bit too much effort for not enough payoff i i don't think we've quite figured it out yet but we're gonna have a method of reviewing the set which is more focused so you can look forward to that and just know that we're gonna be 
working to bring you a bit more concentrated and relevant content around this next set. Oh, yeah. I'm excited about it. I'm already, I've got ideas in my head that we're going to talk about and get ready for uh, spoiler season with. Awesome, dude. I'm stoked. So I will look forward to that. And in the meantime, thank you so much for listening to and or watching another episode of the Arena Craft podcast. We deeply appreciate all of you. You are very cool people, as Covert Go Blue is always eager to remind you. And I wanted to remind you that we actually have a Patreon. And if you want to take your relationship with the podcast to the next level, you can go there. It is uh, patreon.com forward slash arenacraft podcast. It starts at $2.99 per month, which is a very reasonable amount, I would say, to keep the content creators that you enjoy throughout the month going. So definitely head over there. You can also find us on Spotify if you are someone who listens to that obscure little platform. And you, you can see both of us you on troll. <laughs> <laughs> you can see both of us on twitch.tv and just you know look in the show notes or in the video description. Just take a look down there and you'll find all kinds of interesting information. I'll try to nab some deck lists as well and uh, put them down there. So yeah, nice. Uh, so yeah, in the meantime, CGB, I'm looking forward to partying up with you and adventuring into the Forgotten Realms next week. It's gonna be epic. I'm looking forward to it as well. Right on, man. Take it easy, crafties. Catch you next time.